Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. We are on Instagram, Matchpoint Canada. We're also on YouTube and Facebook. And uh, Mike, obviously, this week recapping another Masters 1000 in the books on clay from Madrid at the Mutual Madrid Open. And also, our special guest for this week will be former top-ranked Canadian singles player on the women's side, a Carol Zhao. Yeah, great to have Carol Zhao back on uh, Matchpoint Canada. And uh, she seems to be really turning things up a notch uh, over the last few months. So it's great to have her back in the mix uh, for Canadian women. And we've also got a big, uh, some big news to share with our listeners this week. Um, after taking last week off and leaving everybody sort of hanging, wondering what was going on with our draw for the Roger Federer uh, center court shoe from on running, we are going to reveal the winning name uh, today on the podcast. I've carefully ridden them all out here on individual pieces of paper, meticulously yep. folded them. And uh, we will draw that after uh, checking out your interview with, with Carol Zhao this week. But I know um, some, some very eager listeners who can't wait to find out if, uh, if they uh, end up being our winner this time around. Yeah, and big thanks to everyone who participated. I think we got uh, such a great response, not just on Twitter, but on on Instagram as well. I don't think I've ever personally replied to so many uh, Instagram <laughs> DMs in my life, so that was nice. And I know. And thank you for aren't... doing that. Thank you for Ben took charge <laughs> of uh, you know uh, keeping track of all the entries. Right. Which means I guess I owe you one on the next round. Okay, well, you're, you're the one who uh, set it up in a draw and wrote them out. So I really appreciate that. Um, it, it feels like perfect timing, honestly, Mike, that uh, we do have this interview with Carol Zhao, because I, I did speak with her earlier last week while she was in Ecuador. And sure enough, uh, she made another ITF final in Ecuador. Now she did lose in the final, but another terrific week and kind of a building block as she makes her comeback. And uh, yeah, without further ado, here's my interview with the Canadian tennis player, Carol Zhao. Happy to be joined now by a professional tennis player who just a few years ago did hold the top spot as Canada's top-ranked singles player on the women's side. She's also a former junior doubles champion at the Australian Open. Carol Zhao, thanks so much uh, for joining us on Matchpoint Canada this week. Thank you, Ben. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's great to talk to you. And um, look, I think for you, it's it's been a long road back for you to get back to playing professional matches, competing again. Maybe you can tell us just a, a bit about what the last year or so has, has looked like for you, obviously navigating a pandemic and probably navigating some injuries as well. Totally. Yeah. Um, so starting from, I guess, around Roland Garros 2018, I've had uh, like an elbow injury and which lasted me, you know, took me to, um, the better part of 2019 and uh you know i was ready to come back in 2020 and obviously the pandemic hit so it's a bit uh unfortunate timing for me but um you know always uh have continued training hard continue believing in the process and just really happy to and really grateful to have the opportunity to to travel now and um and get back to playing and and, and building matches and, and everything like that and so for for 2020 were there maybe was it was it in some aspects maybe career-wise a blessing in disguise that you didn't have to rush anything back did you feel like health-wise you were fully ready to go or was it maybe helpful to actually get a bit bit more extra time do you think um well it, it would have been perfect for me if the pandemic had started in 2019 we'll, 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 <laughs> we'll put it that way yeah so in, in 2020 I was, I was pretty ready to go 
um, and you know had spent the, like the latter part of 2019 getting ready um, to come back. So um, you know, just kind of actually like solidified for me that this is you know what I want to continue doing because it's not so easy to sort of chug along the rehab um, process without you know any tournaments or competitive opportunities in sight. So. Um, for me, like it really solidified for me that this is, you know, what I want to continue doing and, uh, yeah. Yeah. It feels like, uh, more than a few Canadians, uh, on our circuit, men and women have their share of like great comeback stories, which is terrific to see. And, and, uh, I was thinking of that when I was watching Canada compete at the Billie Jean King cup and, you know, you're alongside players like Rebecca Marino, of course, who had a long layoff, Mm -hmm. uh, Bianca couldn't make it, but of course she's dealt with injuries. Uh, Sharon Fishman Mm -hmm. had a brief retirement, um, what what was that experience like of uh, getting to play um, a, a team event alongside fellow Canadians? And were you guys able to maybe bond in that sense that you've kind of all been through these sort of trials and tribulations in your career, but are, are still sticking to it? Totally, totally. Um, well, first of all, it's always a privilege to represent Canada at Billie Jean King Cup. Um, and to, you know, get the win with with uh, Rebecca was, was a really nice, um, you know, cherry on top. And yeah, I mean, I also traveled with Rebecca the week after to Portugal and, you know, we sort of bonded a little bit more over our, you know, shared sort of, um, I guess, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say like shared career trajectories, mm-hmm. you know, because she's obviously a lot more um, experienced than I am at this stage. But, um, you know, we've gone through some similar things with having to come back and especially now coming back in this environment and like during the COVID tour if you will um you know where it's a little bit more challenging and very competitive so um yeah there's definitely you know stuff we bond over and you know with Sharon she's always been sort of like a sister figure to me really um you know being a bit older and also being from Toronto and we we always used to train a lot together and um so yeah it's really nice to have teammates like that for sure yeah, and obviously a great, a great success winning that playoff tie. So more opportunities for Canada going forward in that event. Uh, for you personally, singles-wise, it, it felt like uh, the third week of February for this season was was big for you. Maybe felt like a, you truly announced your return. You reached a, a finals of an ITF in South Africa. How mm-hmm. important was that week maybe for your confidence uh, in your game just, just moving forward? Very, very. Um, you know, prior to this, I'd never taken, you know, that long of a break from competing ever in my life, you know, ever since I was maybe like 10 years old. So having taken like, you know, over a year off and coming back and that being, I think my third tournament back, um, I think it was really important for me to sort of get a lot of matches under my belt and to get used to, you know, learning how to win again consistently. Um, And obviously last week in Portugal, the same thing, um, able to, you know, just get through a lot of tough matches. And I think I'm at that stage now where, um, building that momentum is really important. So yeah, it's, 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 you know, all, all positives so far. That's, that's great to hear. Um, in terms of, I guess, when you're, you're making a comeback like this, it's, it's been over a year, you start mm-hmm. putting tournaments again, you start, you know, notching a few wins. Are you do, are you setting like short-term goals for yourself or, or is it more like a bigger picture approach to 2021? Mm, that's a great question. I mean, uh, both. I mean, right now it's really hard to set like short-term goals because of the valid- validity in the schedule, um, you know, things changing all the time. I and mean, even the term in Portugal wasn't originally supposed to be in Portugal and, you know, things are just always shifting. So um, I think it's really important to keep the big picture in mind. Uh, and obviously for me, that is, you know, to return to the slams as quickly as possible um, to, you know, compete in the bigger tournaments again and give myself opportunities at that stage. So 
um, as long as, you know, that's still in focus, I think, you know, that gets, you know, the, the, the motivation and the, and, and the week to week, um, grind makes it a little easier. Yeah, that's, uh, that's good. It's uh, with obviously COVID as well. Um, I, I think it is a difficult time for players, certain players to kind of make big leaps and bounds in the rankings, but, mm-hmm. uh, obviously mm-hmm. your latest results have helped in that regard. You know, you've moved up, um, inside to, to 362 in the live rankings, at least right now, uh, does, does the ranking, does that number give you stress or pressure? Like how, how do you approach <laughs> it? Cause it's, it's a, it's a scenario, obviously, you know, you've been inside the top 125 before. So you've, you've mm-hmm. had that experience of kind of feeling like you're, you're around that top 100 as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think when I was, you know, more inside, uh, like closer to top 100, um, maybe I, you, you would pay more attention to it just because, you know, that it would affect your schedule and it would affect, um, you know, you're obviously trying to make any draw slams, you know, um, and like week to week, you would probably pay more attention to your positioning. But I think even just like throughout this whole injury process, it's really helped me to sort of reframe, you know, what I um, place importance on. And I think rankings are obviously important, you know, they get you into tournaments and stuff, but, um, I think if the focus remains on improving your game, making sure that you're competing at the level that you want to be competing at, then, um, I think the ranking, you know, eventually will sort itself out. So that's, that's where I'm at right now, I guess, currently, That's uh, especially that's... now, you know, it's so tough to even, you know, get into, um, tournaments and, you know, it's, um, even all the ITFs, they're, they're very, very competitive, you know, players inside the top 300 playing, you know, qualities of, a, of an ITF. So, um, so I think any sort of, um, progress is, is, is welcome <laughs> at this stage. Yeah. That's, that's a good mindset to have. And I, I'm just thinking in terms of the level right now uh, across the WTA feels like very strong. And, uh, just mm-hmm. to relate back to Rebecca Marino, for example, you guys win a, a double ma- doubles match and, uh, she was winning a big singles match for Canada mm-hmm. against a player who was probably almost a hundred points higher than her hundred spots, higher than her in the rankings. Do you feel like, Oh, more, I think, I think she was in top 75. I think. Wow. Nina so was. even like almost, yeah. one, almost 150. So do you feel mm-hmm. like, there's sometimes these not only are the rankings numbers maybe not a, a true reflection of every player but like the the gap is actually a lot lot closer than it seems completely yes and i think especially this year um there's so much parity in women's tennis right now and um i think you'll find the the gaps in in level are, are very very slim and you, you i mean we've seen a lot of um players have you know ranked outside the top 100 have really good good results this year at uh bigger tournaments so um, you know, I think it's a combination of, you know, continuing to work hard and being ready for the opportunities that come away. So, um, yeah. And, uh, as, as you, uh, as we're speaking right now, you're in, you're in Ecuador and, and playing, it seems like a, a stretch of ITF events. Do, mm-hmm. do you have a team with you as, as well, or are you going about this solo right now? Yeah, it's been kind of, uh, it's kind of been like, uh, patches of, of stuff, um, these days. Cause you know, first of all, it's so hard to travel outside of Canada. So for my coaching staff, it's been very hard to, to navigate. Um, they, they were able to travel with me earlier in the, uh, in the year, but now with the restrictions in, in Canada, it's been very tough. Um, last week, Rebecca and I actually had, um, Ollie Stewart. He was really drinking cup and, um, we, we sort of brought him along to Portugal. And so, um, it was a nice sort of two weeks with him there. Um, but you know, right now it's just very hard to have a set plan with, uh, with, with traveling, just given the, given the climate. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. So I, I guess mm-hmm. in terms of it, you're setting like bigger picture goals, but as for the calendar season and, and scheduling wise, you're kind of just taking it as it comes, I assume. 
Yes. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, it's kind of been like a week to week decision almost uh, at this stage. So, um, you know, just making those decisions as we see fit with my team and, you know, just trying to trying to make the right one, even though there isn't uh, an obvious right right choice. <laughs> <laughs> that, that makes sense. Obviously, yeah. um, when you were off from the tour and um, rehabbing yeah. injuries and, and still training, uh, we did st- still see some uh, plenty of content from you on social media. Um, <laughs> what I would call a, a nice blossoming music career as well. I, I know you're <laughs> I know you're classically trained in piano. Um, oh, wow. How, how long you did your you, research? <laughs> yeah, I did a little bit of research. Didn't take that much research. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> how long have you uh, been playing music for? And, um, yeah, when, when did you kind of build up the passion to start, you know, becoming a singer songwriter, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I started, uh, learning music the same time I started tennis actually. So I was around like four or five. Mm -hmm. Um, that's kind of when I started and had no plans to continue in either, but here we are. (laughs) Um, um, and, and I guess I, I've just always, uh, you know, like really loved music. And I think once I got to college, um, was able to, you know, del- like delve into performing and working with, with other musicians and stuff like that. And during quarantine, obviously, we had a lot of time. And I, I, I thought it would be a cool project to sort of see through to um, sort of re- like release some of my own music. So, nice. uh, yeah, that's, that's been really fun. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and we, we find that kind of stuff on, on Spotify. Are you planning like an album or is it just sort of when you're, when the mood strikes and you, you feel like you have an idea mm-hmm. for a song that then it kind of takes place? Yeah. Um, well, I think nowadays you, you see more like people just like re- re- releasing singles. Um, and so I, I have, you know, maybe like two or three singles coming up li- like later this year that we're working on. Nice. Um, so you've, you can definitely uh, stay tuned. All right. Well, that's, <laughs> but yes, that's... On, on Spotify and everything. Yeah, that's exciting. Unfortunately, I don't I don't think open mics are really possible right now, but uh, mm-hmm. hopefully that changes uh, in the near future. Um, Carol, sometimes with our guests, we like to finish with a, a, se- a segment called Rapid Fire Questions. If you're up sure. for it, um, you'll be on the spot. And uh, yeah, just, just answer as, as truthfully as you can. Um, first question, would you call yourself a morning or night person? Oh, night person, 100%. Yeah, okay. I'm like way more alert in the night <laughs> <laughs> all right um tea or coffee Ooh, that's tough probably tea actually okay uh this is a tough one what would you call maybe your most memorable match or best win of your career to date if you had to Ooh, pick one that is really really tough um best personal win probably um the finals of of Shenzhen which 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 was my biggest career title but um most memorable I mean there's so many um yeah I mean I'll I'll just say that one for now okay yeah that (laughs) works rapid fire (laughs) yeah not being very rapid (laughs) (laughs) that's fine um what is your favorite shot to hit on the tennis court favorite shot to hit um I'm gonna go with forehand inside in Okay. I, I like yeah. how specific you were. That's good. Yeah, very specific. Yeah. Um, do you have a best friend on the tour? Best friend. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty close with a lot of the, the Canadian girls. I'd say like Jeannie and Gabby and um, some of my closest personal friends actually. Um, but I think generally I'm pretty, pretty friendly with everybody. <laughs> That's good. Nice. Um, 
you're in Ecuador right now, but a place you would most like to visit that you haven't been to? Right now, I think maybe like Iceland sounds sounds fun. Oh, we we See, need a like quality thing. tournament there. That would be great. I know, right? Wouldn't that be cool? There's <laughs> yeah. no uh, tournament up there. <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe that can change. Um, yeah. A famous, or they don't need to be famous, I suppose. A person you'd most like to meet. Person I most like to meet. Oof, that's tough. Um, Oh my gosh. I hope this is edited. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. I'm not sure. Honestly, maybe like Roger. I feel like it'd be really cool to have a conversation with Roger. Better. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, that's been a popular pick in the past. Mm, okay. um, last song maybe that you uh, downloaded or listened to. Last song I listened to was, I'm going to pull it up real quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> um, oh, it was, uh, the new Justin Bieber. It's called Off My Face. All right. Off of his new album. So nice. there you go. Okay. Uh, favorite uh, TV show to binge watch? Favorite TV show. I haven't been watching that much TV lately, but I think the last show I binged was like The Crown. Yeah. Okay. Kind of like nice. Uh, and last one for you. If you could be any animal, what would it be and why? I like to be like a cheetah because I want to feel like, um, like <laughs> really fast. I guess <laughs> I feel like that'd be cool. Embody maybe the cheetah speed, but uh, on the mm-hmm. tennis court as well, and you'd be unbeatable. Exactly. <laughs> yes, that that's, would be ideal. Yeah, that's a that's a good answer. Uh, Carol, thanks so much for catching up with us on the podcast. I think uh, I could speak for Canadian tennis fans that we're we're thrilled to see you back on the tour and, and competing again, and uh, we look forward to seeing more of you in the future as well. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, r- really appreciate that. There you have it, my interview with Canadian tennis player Carol Zhao, who was just in the ITF final in Ecuador and. She was, I guess, like a, obviously off our radar because she was dealing with an elbow injury, as she mentioned, and out a couple of years. But it wasn't that long ago, just in 2018, that she was ranked, you know, inside number 125, I believe number 118, and was our, our top-ranked Canadian on the women's side and, and pushing towards that top 100. And I believe now that she's back, she's playing good tennis, top 100 might be possible for her. Yeah, Carol's only 25 years old, and I have to admit that kind of surprised me when I saw it because it feels like she's been around longer, um, and she had a very successful end to the 2017 season, which gave her quite a, a big ranking boost, and she uh, briefly overtook Jeannie Bouchard at the time for the Canadian number one ranking on the, the women's side. Um, but it's great to see she's making some, some inroads now and having a successful season. Um, and as she mentioned, you know, she gave it some thought about did she want to go through all of that rehab and, and was it worth all the effort to, to do so um, and how much she, she loved the sport and wanted to get back in there and looking forward to playing Grand Slams again and, and qualifying for the biggest tournaments the sport has to offer. So not an easy decision, I'm sure, for any athlete that has to go through a grueling rehab, but it seems like Carol made the right decision. And, um, you know, I think once again, we've proven to be, I think the word is fortuitous, when we've uh, spoken to a guest who then goes on a bit of a run 
And uh, you spoke with her, what, mid-tournament or, or just prior to the tournament? Just prior to the tournament beginning. And she didn't play her first match until the Wednesday. And I think we spoke on Tuesday, actually. So just a day before. And then she went went on this great run getting to the final. Um, so, you know, really good signs for her and her tennis, I think. And I actually mentioned to her as we got off that that interview on zoom that uh, I played in the past at Aviva center. I have a couple of people that I hit with there and obviously circumstances just changed with COVID where I, I certainly couldn't go and play, but uh, I had a number of times where I saw her a couple courts over training and she was, you know, I think every single, almost every single day I was in a certain, uh, the center of excellence, it's called it Aviva center. If I happened to play there, she was there like every morning training and working on her game. So she's been, she's been at it for a long time uh, in the rehabilitation and training and practicing uh, to get back uh, to professional tennis. So, so she certainly didn't give up in this dream whatsoever. And uh, as you, uh, you know, mentioned in the uh, rapid fire questions, uh, you know, a big music fan and mm-hmm. uh, and musician as well. So she's got diverse interests and talents. I was thinking maybe her and Vashik Pospisil could start a band together, you know, the, <laughs> the two Canadian tennis player musicians. And I'm picturing Milos in the background shaking the tambourine or something. Uh, I'm, I'm just glad you didn't reference Dennis Shapovalov doing hip hop <laughs> as part of the band. Thank you for not going in that direction. We didn't, we didn't order that. <laughs> Did we? I don't think. <laughs> no, no. Uh, one one thing that I did like in the rapid fire that you mentioned, uh, and she she almost stumbled on this one. One person she'd like to meet, Roger Federer, and it feels good to bring that that name up because, uh, as we said off the top, we are getting to our exciting on-running shoe giveaway of the center court Roger Federer shoe. And as we mentioned, all the responses, Mike, if you're ready, I think now is as good a time as ever to do the draw. Do we want to talk about the shoe some more though? Maybe Actually, yeah, or, let's talk uh, about the shoe. I'm just, That's... I'm just, I'm just kidding. People want, want <laughs> us to pick the name, but uh, it's a great shoe. The, the center court shoe, really classy looking. Uh, we'll be in touch with the winner. We'll get your shoe size. We'll get your color preference mm-hmm. and get that off to on running ASAP so they can send this to you in the mail. And uh, again, of all the draws we've ever done, this one's been the biggest one for sure. And, and with good reason. So without leaving you hanging any longer, here we go. Yep. I'm mixing them up. Ben, you can see me here on our zoom to make sure I'm drum roll, drum roll. Properly. Unfortunately, I don't have drums, but here we go. Here we go. All right. All right. I got one. And we have a name. And the winner is uh, Paolo. It's just a, a one one word name. Uh, maybe that was their handle on Instagram or Twitter. But we've got uh, Paolo. So we will be um, holding this up so Ben can see it here. Yeah, so I see it. Touch. Congratulations. You're going to love the shoe. And um, for those who weren't successful this week, keep tuning in. Because we do have a couple more versions of the, the Federer shoe. He's got three in total. And we've been fortunate enough to have a pair of, of each of them. So we will be giving another one away, um, you know, in, in future weeks here. There you go. Uh, congrats to, to Paolo on uh, getting a Roger Federer center court shoe from, from on running. And as you said, we will have a couple more to come. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. I'm Ben Lewis. He's Mike McIntyre. And uh, we have to recap the big event from this week on both the men's and women's side. And we'll start on the men's for the uh, Mutua Madrid Open. I think after seeing Rafael Nadal come through in Barcelona uh, the previous week, you're thinking now he's go- going over to Madrid again has that major home crowd support uh, that we were thinking he's certainly the heavy favorite to possibly win this tournament for a sixth time and I have to admit Sasha's Zverev wasn't fully on my radar as like a, a contender to win this thing but uh, 
he did so and defeated Matteo Berrettini, 6'7", 6'4", 6'3", captures his fourth Masters 1000, and uh, just really solid tournament from him. First takes out Nadal in straight sets. Dominic Team, who we finally had back on the clay, he beats him in straight sets. And then surprise finalist Matteo Berrettini. So Zverev kind of punctuating himself as, uh, you know, one of these top contenders on the clay and obviously likely a future Grand Slam winner, to be honest. Yeah, and I got I got to preface my talk about Zverev here by saying I've I've got no love for Alexander Zverev, um, yep. you know, with obviously the allegations of uh, domestic abuse that came out earlier this year, and even prior to that, I got to be honest, the guy kind of you know always rubbed me the wrong way with his sort of prickly attitude. Mm-hmm. But I'll just stick to the tennis here briefly at least because uh, you can't ignore winning a Masters one thousand, uh, which he's done now four times. And proven that obviously at this level, he's more than capable at just 24 years old, um, waiting for him to do it at a slam. And uh, although he has won quite a few grueling five-set matches at the slams the last couple of years uh, and made a final at the U.S. Open, of course, uh, we haven't seen him grab one yet. And so I still don't fully trust what he's capable of um, in, in a Grand Slam event at this point, uh, despite the fact that he's had the success at the Masters level. Um, sure, he's going to be in the top, you know, 10 favorites this year for sure, maybe top five for many people. But uh, I'm, I'm going to put, you know, the Nadal, CC Pass, Djokovic uh, ahead of him. And, um, you know, to talk about Nadal for a moment, uh, didn't win the event, but he hasn't always had the most success in Madrid. That's um, true. He's only, only <laughs> won it five times. Right. Which really does, though, pale in comparison to many of his other clay court uh, events that he plays and, and succeeds at. Uh, and, and I mean, he's lost to Federer before in Madrid. Uh, he's lost to Andy Murray twice in Madrid. And the past three times he's played there now, quarterfinals, semifinals, quarterfinals. So, you know, the fact that he didn't uh, emerge as the, the champion really doesn't, uh, you know, rattle me at all, I guess, in terms of how I'm gauging his preparations. Right. And I think especially at this stage of his career, as is the case with Roger, as is the case with Novak, you know, they're gearing up for one thing and that's how they're going to perform at the four grand slams. Yeah. I certainly for his career, if you could pick one, one of the major clay tournaments that he's been the most vulnerable at, and particularly in the past five to 10 years, it has been the Madrid open higher altitude, faster court surface, which obviously lended to Zverev's game style this past week. And he's won two in Madrid. Now he also won it in 2018. So uh, yeah, if you're going to find a spot, I think to defeat Nadal on clay Madrid, Almost, it's it sounds weird that that is the place to do it because it is in Spain and he's going to have that home crowd support. But just the clay, the way it plays, uh, isn't suited to his game style um, as perfect as a few of the other clay court surfaces. But as you mentioned, I mean, we're, we're nitpicking his his clay here at a tournament. He's won five times, which kind of speaks to uh, what the king of clay does on this surface. I want to talk about Matteo Berrettini, honestly, because this guy was flying under the radar just a couple of weeks ago won the Belgrade Open, which was, okay, an, an ATP 250, but still a title. And then for him to make a Masters 1000 final, I, I think is a, a significant breakthrough for for the Italian to make another step forward in his career. To me, he's probably still not quite the level of, you know, the passes, the teams, Medvedev, Rublev, Zverev, but uh, he's getting close. Group? He is in, in the- that next group, that that next tier, just like slightly below. And um, he's had some quality results dating back the past couple of years. Yeah, I don't I don't feel like he's flying under the radar anymore. I feel like he's he's on my radar. And uh, yeah. 
again, he's going to be on that short list of players just below the the big ones, as you mentioned, in terms of next level of of very real contenders this year. Yeah, I think so. One one significant aspect of of this Nadal lost, I think, which could come into play, come Roland Garros, is Daniil Medvedev uh, will be holding that second seed now at Roland Garros, Djokovic first, which could lend the potential to seeing a Djokovic-Nadal semifinal down the line, which is not something we are accustomed to seeing. Really, at the Grand Slam in general, we're used to seeing these two meet in finals. So that would be a different dynamic. And, and I imagine, think- imagine Ben Federer ends up in that quadrant as well. Oh, my wow. God. Wow. <laughs> that would be very explosive to have big, the big three, you know, say all loaded up in the top half of the draw. It is a realistic uh, possibility, but we'll, we'll wait and see. We'll talk about Rome a little later on, but sticking with Madrid and, and shifting over to the women's side, uh, starting with some Canadian news because Ottawa's Gabby Dabrowski made the finals of this event in doubles with a uh, partner Demi Schurz. They had a great tournament uh, before losing to a very strong Czech Republic team of uh, Katarina Siniakova and Barbara Krejcikova, 6-4, But this is the first final in doubles for Gabby for 2021. And we've seen a bit of turnover with the partners, but she's still uh, producing strong success, which is great. I feel like Gabby uh, has, has trouble sometimes with the Czech teams. I feel like we're always talking about a strong Czech team coming mm-hmm. up against her, whether it be in the finals or semifinals of a tournament. And certainly there are tons of great Czech doubles players. Um, but this is progress for Gabby, as you mentioned, her first final of the year. Her last title was uh, about two years ago, May 2019. She's played in five finals since that time. Uh, I'm wondering what it is that maybe is holding her back these past two years from just getting over that hump in these finals. And, and could it be the lack of a consistent partner? Um, because she seems to be playing with a revolving door of, of partners the past couple of years, uh, Ostapenko. Uh, she's played with Juliana almost a bit this year. Yep. Um, now we see her with Demi Schurz, I think, for the first time. So I just wonder, and I know it's difficult, especially through COVID, to find someone that's going to consistently be able to play the same events as you. Um, but would it be to her benefit if she could find a, a solid partner to play with, you know, for the course of a year, which we haven't seen her with a solid partner in a couple of years now? Yeah, I was thinking that the firm partnership, and I think we we spoke to her about this, was going to be Elena Ostapenko and the way their their games kind of played off of one another. And I had that thought when I was sort of following her results this week because her and Demi Schurz defeated Ostapenko and Pavlochenkova in the semifinals. And I had that funny thought, like, was wasn't that maybe her ideal? doubles team and uh you know you know it isn't often a revolving door i think on the double circuit funny enough that she's playing with demi Schurz because demi Schurz was seated first at the last event that gabby was playing at in charleston and demi Schurz and her partner there picked up a title so it, it's a revolving door of quality doubles players obviously but i i think you know, to form like one of these top partnerships that has major success, winning titles, winning slams, for example. Um, it is a defined team that lasts like throughout the season, calendar over calendar, yeah, obviously. Like, like uh, a Brian Brothers. Babosh or uh, Sabalenka right. and Mertens are really playing great the past year. Yes, so. they're a very good team. Can't hurt. Yeah, yeah. I, I would like to see that partnership, I think, with Ostapenko um, come back, but it you know, sometimes it depends on their schedules. I don't know that situation there, but uh, certainly 
getting her back in a final is great uh, and a nice stride. She's definitely dangerous on clay. So that should boost the confidence as well with the French open uh, coming up around the corner, I think as well, just getting to the result on the singles side, Arena Sabalenka, you mentioned great doubles player, fantastic singles player as well. And she defeated top seed Ashley Barty um, in three sets to win the title. With the win, Sabalenka is moving up to a career high number four in the rankings. And she has 10 career titles now, which is very impressive to me. Still just 23 years old. I think the most impressive aspect, she's won five of them since February of last year. And you think winning five titles since February of last year, and we missed half of the season due to COVID, she has been one of the most on-fire players on the circuit. And the only spot it hasn't really broken through has been at a Grand Slam. That's the only thing really missing right now. Yeah, and on the women's side, I mean, we're a few weeks away still from giving our preview on Roland Garros. But I think when we talk about the men, we're probably going to have between five to eight names that we could see potentially hoist that trophy. And I think that's maybe even being a little generous on the women's side. I swear to God, there's probably about 20 to 25 names where none of them would shock me. So Sabalenka is making forward progress, but she's still got a ton of other women, talented women to, uh, to compete with when it comes to the slams. Yeah. Yeah. She certainly does. Uh, she did pardon me, avenge the loss to Barty because Barty beat her in Stuttgart just, uh, the other month actually in a three set final. So um, Sabalenka breaking through and kind of looking at the matches played this season and looking at win totals, it's really been, you know, Osaka obviously wins the Australian open at the front end of the season. You'd have to say she's been one of the best players in the world. No question about that. If we're talking about consistently playing event after event wins and losses, Barty and Sabalenka are in a sense, neck and neck. And I believe Barty now is 26 and four. I'd have to go through the numbers for Sabalenka, but these are the two players who've really been chalking up wins and titles uh, this season. Yeah, she's been she's been terrific. Ash Barty, as has been you know mentioned by pretty much every media pundit for the last couple of months, uh, taking advantage after having a whole year basically off from playing competitive tennis matches during the pandemic. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see when she gets back to the French Open how things uh, settle in there for her. But uh, right now. She's definitely carved out that uh, that spot at the top of the women's game for for good reason. Yeah, yeah, she's playing terrific. Uh, another final for her is a great result. Six and one this season, by the way, against the top ten, which uh, shows you she's a very worthy uh, world number one. Just on the tournament coming up. We have Rome starting up, and it's already underway. Another Masters one thousand. Should point out that. It's unfortunate Layla Fernandez had to go through qualifying for Rome and then loses to tough American Christina McHale. So we won't see that. Another name that was surprising that you don't picture playing in qualifying ever is American Sloan Stevens. And she also lost in qualifying. So the struggles continue. That one doesn't surprise me anymore. It it would have. There would have been a time for sure. And and when you look at her resume and, uh, you know, Grand Slam winner and finalist, uh, but she's had a real tough go the last couple of years. Uh, Switch coaches back to Kamal, Kamal Murray um, and just doesn't seem to have been able to put it together on the court. Uh, doesn't seem to have that same confidence and, and self-belief. Uh, I mean, the player you just mentioned, Layla Fernandez, has beaten her how many times, I feel like, already over the past yeah, year. Yeah, maybe and, three. Yeah. And kudos to Layla Fernandez, but a player like Sloane Stevens should be finding a way to make that head-to-head a little bit more competitive, I think. And that's no disrespect intended to Layla either. Um, So tough to say what's going on with Sloan, but uh, it it doesn't surprise me to see her name in qualies. 
Um, one name that we're not going to be seeing competing in Rome, and this is disappointing, of course. I just tweeted out, I felt like a few hours uh, prior, that that here's who she might play in her opening round in Rome, uh, Bianca Andreescu, who was slated to have a first-round bye, but she won't be there. Uh, she's overcome COVID. Uh, she's tested negative for COVID, but Italy, I guess, was going to potentially make her have to uh, hard quarantine for a period of time. And uh, I guess that's something that uh, either she wasn't willing to go through again, or, or I guess there just wouldn't be enough time for her to go through that and then play the event, uh, unfortunately. It's hard to think of a, a more snake-bitten athlete on the WTA Tour circuit, honestly, over the past you know year and a half and change than Bianca Andreescu. And it's odd for me to say that about someone who wins so often, who's a Grand Slam champion, who's won major tournaments, uh, including Rogers Cup and Ian Wells, who was just in the finals of Miami a couple of months ago. But uh, it just seems anything that could possibly go wrong goes wrong. And it's hard to you know, keep a positive attitude towards it. But again, you know, we were excited about the prospect of a full clay court season for Bianca. Then obviously we had the setback from the injury in that final to Barty. So we said, okay, let's be patient. Maybe she's going to miss a couple events. Then she'll get a clay court season. And now it's almost like she's, she's running out of time uh, to get proper training on this surface ahead of Roland Garros. The only positive I can think of is this is not, health related and injury related she is okay she's been training she i'm sure is dying to get out there i can't imagine her frustration level honestly not being able to play these last two events well just think of how frustrated we are you know covering her (laughs) and and members of the canadian tennis media not to mention canadian tennis fans but yeah for her it must just be you know one obstacle after another seemingly endless obstacles unfortunately um i mean when we see her speaking she puts on a good face but behind the scenes, what toll is that taking? I, I don't know. On the one hand, I suppose she's getting used to this, unfortunately. But it must just really, for someone who's got that intense level of competitive drive, it must just be uh, so very difficult. And uh, looking forward to seeing her back on the court soon. And, you know, with the confidence, at least, that she's able to come back after long layoffs multiple times and yeah. play terrific level tennis still. That's true. That's true. And there are opportunities in the calendar for her to uh, take a wild card, get into a couple of these WTA 250s ahead of Roland Garros in June. I think she absolutely has to play one of those at least. I think there's one in Italy. There should be one in Serbia. Um, The travel won't be far. You already think of where she is right now um, over there. I don't know if she actually went from Spain to Italy. I think she did. Um, preparing for that event, but it, it shouldn't be difficult to get into one of these WTA 250s, get some match play ahead of Roland Garros, stay healthy, and then play this Grand Slam portion of the season. Uh, we'll shift over to the men's side. Novak Djokovic, of course, did not play Madrid, but he is set to play in Rome where he will be the top seed. Interesting element. There is a good chance of a rematch with Dan Evans in round two. Evans, of course, taking him out in Monte Carlo the other month. That one's not going to go the same way if it happens again. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure, but you're pretty confident. I, I, I would must say I would be very stunned if Dan Evans takes two consecutive clay court matches or matches in general off of Novak Djokovic. Uh, Nadal, as we said, uh, has dominated so many of the events. Uh, these events in Rome has been one of them. He's won it nine times. So for me. It doesn't really matter the narrative going into this event. Okay, he didn't play very well in Madrid. He he surely has to be the favorite here. Yeah, going for double digits. And uh, I, I don't know off the top of my head, you might, how many events he's won now at least 10 times or more 
double digits. Um, I wonder in terms of all time tennis players having won tournaments more than 10 times where he ranks on that list. He's got to be up at the top. Yeah. Number one in that respect. But (laughs) uh, my God, where do all those trophies go? I wonder. (laughs) And, uh, you know, does he place them all together? Do the Rome trophies all go side by side? Does he do it chronologically? Is it by Mm -hmm. surface? Uh, I'm going to ask him that at the next time I see him in a tournament or the next time I'm impressed with Nadal. I'm going to ask him how he organizes the trophies. Remind that's me. A, that's a very good question. Um, I hope we get an interesting answer. Uh, but yeah, he'll he'll go for number 10 there. I, I believe he's won Barcelona 12 times, French Open 13, Monte Carlo maybe 10. Um, but we'll, we'll see if he gets a 10th here. Felix Ogeal-Yassim, uh, good news here is he's already through to the second round. He had a tough loss to Casper Ruud, who made the semifinals in Madrid. But he's beaten Filip Krajinovic. Tough second round matchup upcoming with Diego Schwartzman and Denis Shapovalov. This should be a nice opportunity, I hope, to get a couple of wins. He's opening his event against the qualifier and has a pretty cushy draw to start things off. And for me, he really has to get things going. It's just two and three on clay right now. Yeah, there's only one way for 2021 to go for Shapo, and that's up because uh, it's it's been pretty stagnant, unfortunately. And uh, so, yeah, maybe now is the time. We've been talking about you and I in recent weeks about how Shapo runs hot and cold, and he's certainly due for a hot streak. So, um, hey, Dennis Shapo fans, uh, maybe maybe this will be it. Yeah, that would be nice to see. I believe if he gets two wins, we could get a round of 16 with Rafael Nadal. So that would be always a lovely matchup to see if we get that. Some other news before we wrap. Sophia Kennan, who has had, I would certainly say, a tumultuous start to 2021, early exit in the Australian Open, uh, a couple tough tournaments after that, not really doing much in Miami. And now she has split with her coach, who was, in fact, her father. And to me, it raises the question sometimes, are coaching partnerships with parents actually detrimental maybe when you're actually on the pro tour circuit. I understand the process you're growing up as a teenager. um, And one of the parents whose experience takes you under the wing. Obviously we have so many success stories, Richard Williams, probably the number one, but we've seen it have detrimental effects too. I I'm a proponent of keeping things separate and I don't just mean in professional sports, but even, you know, family business and stuff like that. I've seen that go terribly wrong Mm -hmm. for some families. And so you know, I think players should cut the cord at a certain point. And when they're professionals and adults, uh, you know, keep family separate from the uh, the playing career in terms of part of your coaching team. Uh, but that's just my take. Obviously, everyone's entitled to their own opinion on on this one. Um, but uh, but certainly for Kenan, something's got to give here. You know, she also had that appendix uh, surgery, I believe, earlier in the yep. year as well. So had some bad luck in that sense, too. Um, you know, Chapo works with his mom as part of his team and, uh, I've always kind of wondered, you know, would it be to his benefit if he sort of left that aside and just focused on Mikhail Yuzhny or whoever he wanted to choose as a coach, you know, who's not part of the family, but unfortunately there's so many bad examples out there of, uh, you know, and it's tennis dads for the most part, you hear of these really controlling manipulative Mm -hmm. tennis dads. And, um, I just, I just think, you know what? keep it separate. You're a grown up. go and make your own decisions. And, you know, yeah, keep family in the loop, bring them along to tournaments, whatever you want, but, but have someone else who's given you those, those tips and advice uh, in between matches and on the practice court. 
Yeah, I'm I'm probably in agreement there. The worst possible example that always comes to my mind is a super talented former top five player, Yelena Dokic. She was a Wimbledon semifinalist. I, th I think a lot of people thought her career trajectory was headed towards grand slams. She kind of fizzled out with injuries, but she had a very abusive, controlling father, someone who actually spent time in prison for over a year, I believe. He was always in the press creating these, you know, problematic stories causing scenes at tournaments is the absolute worst possible dynamic and there is no doubt in my mind that that played on her mentally and greatly affected her career and, and her promise as a player so obviously that's the extreme example but uh i i agree with you i i wish we could keep things separate here maybe that's the decision for sophia kennan you know her dad is still a fan maybe her dad can still come and watch matches but not being uh, a part of the coaching team that'll be a change for her and we'll see We'll see what happens. She's She was a French Open finalist last year, in fact, and uh, we'll see if she gets her chances again at uh, Roland Garros. You have been listening to Matchpoint Canada. We thank our guest, Canadian tennis player Carol Zhao, and congratulations to our winner of the Roger Federer on-running center court shoe as well. Puelo, we will uh, drop you a message about that, so congrats there. Uh, thanks for listening. We will talk to you next time. You and me used to be together, every day together, always. I really feel that I'm losing my best friend. I can't believe this could be.